Well, today, as we're gathered in these moments, as we've sung some songs together, will you just pray with me? In these moments as we pray, we want to pray for what's going on in our world. But we also gather on this Easter believing that as we trust in God, that Jesus conquered even death itself. And so in our time of prayer today, we believe that God can do anything. And so we want to pray for God to be at work in the world. We want to pray especially for frontline workers, whether it's in healthcare or grocery stores or gas stations. We want to pray for scientists and pharmaceutical companies. And we want to pray that God might do a work in our world that people might actually be healed, that we might find that hope reigns. So pray with me. Father, we come before you in these moments, and we know that as we sing songs, we trust in you in this moment that you might do a brand new thing. And so we pray that as we're gathering on Easter, as we have for 2,000 years, that in these moments we would find that you are doing a new thing and you might do a new thing in us. We pray right now for Connection Point Church and all churches as we gather in just weird and unique ways in the season. We pray we'd recognize that the church is your church, whether it's gathered or scattered, it doesn't change, it's still your church. May we recognize that we are the church. And so we pray in these moments, especially for those who work in healthcare. We pray for those who work at gas stations and grocery stores. And we pray right now that this virus that seems to be running rampant in the world you give wisdom to those that work in the medical profession, researchers, and they would find a vaccine. Because we believe at the end of the day that you love all people from all places in all situations. And so we know right now we believe in a God who grieves with those who grieve, but somehow that even death itself has been conquered by your son. And somehow love still wins out. And so maybe today, may we hear that in these moments together. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a weird Easter for me and obviously for you. And so I've been thinking, what do I want to talk about? And I thought, how about the story of Easter? And so in just a few minutes, we'll be talking about Acts chapter 10. But before we get there, I was just thinking about how so many times we make really good or really bad first impressions. In fact, I would love to tell you that, you know, like some people we meet and they're just awesome at first impressions. I mean, they're like the best first impression people. You meet them, you're like, man, I just want to be their best friend. Um, I am not that good at first impressions. I wish that was not true, but it is. In fact, there are two stories I just want to tell you about me that, that are really awesome in terms of me wanting you to like me because I'm a people pleaser by nature. I want you to like me. But I had an intern years ago when I was a youth pastor, and, and so I'll, I'm leaving names out because these people are now my friends. But, but he'd worked about half a summer with me, and finally he said, I need to, I need to confess something to you. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, what's going on? He goes, well, I used to think you were just an arrogant jerk. Oh, (laughs) you didn't have to confess that, by the way. You could have just kept that one to yourself. But he confessed it, and he's like, no, what it really was, I realized you're just kind of quiet. And I just thought I took it as something else. And he said, and I'm sorry that I even had that thought because it just wasn't true. And I was like, well, thanks for thinking it's not true now. Now that you actually know me, I appreciate that. And then a few years ago now, after I had moved here and was pastoring this church, uh, I coached a little kid's soccer team. And my son's on the team, and he didn't even like soccer. He said, yeah, I want to play. And then basically, if I hadn't agreed to coach, he would have quit. And so one day we had practice, and a parent showed up and said something about, like, hey, my kid's tired, and, and we're just going to go. And I was like, I get it. We're all tired. And I meant it like, I empathize with you. I was, I was on your same page. This person did not hear that. What they heard was me being a smart aleck, and they went home and said to their spouse, well, that's an a-hole pastor. 
And I was like, oh. And so now these people become our friends and I'm glad they gave me a second chance, a second chance at a first impression, a second impression, because now they told me that story and they're like, I, I don't know if that's, and I, was like, I, I basically just thought, man, I'm really glad we don't always get stuck with the first impression we give someone. I'm glad that sometimes we get a second impression becomes a good thing for us. Because sometimes if we're having a bad day, if, if someone takes our worst day and that's their first impression of us, often we're done with them, right? And I don't know about you, but I would rather give people the benefit of the doubt at least the first time. And then let's see maybe that second time. Because the first time, we're not so sure. The first time, maybe they've had the worst week they've ever had. Or maybe, like us, we'd rather people take their impression of us on our average or good days, not on our worst. And sometimes this is what happens. We misunderstand or we think differently or we find ourselves drawn to something that we never thought we would be. And so here's my challenge for you and I today. What if we gave God a second chance? For some of us, what if God got a chance to make a second impression? In fact, I'd say it this way. If we give God a second chance, we might see the world differently. See, if we give God a second chance, we might see the world differently. And how about you? Like, I, I can't imagine what that might look like, how powerful that might be for us. Because I think for a lot of us, at first glance, Jesus and the whole idea of the resurrection doesn't make a lot of sense. But what if... What if there was a second impression we could make? What if God could make a second impression in our life? And so I might say it this way. If we give Jesus a second chance, we might find that he offers what we never knew we always wanted. If we give Jesus a second chance, we might find that he offers what we never knew we always wanted. And see, that was true for a guy named Peter. And Peter was one of the followers of Jesus. And, and Peter was out fishing on this boat. And and Jesus showed up and he said, hey, come follow me. And so Peter left everything and went and followed Jesus. See, he saw in Jesus something that might change the world. Peter was impetuous. Peter was the person who was like, yeah, I'm in. I mean, he's the guy who would follow Jesus everywhere. In fact, Jesus was on a boat, or some disciples were on a boat at one point, and, and they saw Jesus walking on water. I know, crazy story. But Peter's the only one that had the guts to get out of the boat. And see, Peter, this is just him all the time. He had this idea, this belief of who God actually was. He believed Jesus was going to change the world. And so he said, I'll follow you anywhere. See, the problem was Peter, Peter for all the times he was with Jesus, his first impression was usually wrong. He needed to think about a second impression. Like the night Jesus was arrested, he grabbed the high priest's servant's sword and cut off his ear. And then Jesus heals him and he says, that's not how my kingdom functions. That's not what it looks like. That's not who I am. And so Peter, for everything he got right, he got a lot wrong. In fact, then after Jesus is crucified, Peter's the one as he's arrested, he's like, ah, oh, I don't know that guy. I'm just, I, I don't know him. But yet, when Jesus was resurrected, Peter is the one who ran to the tomb. Peter hoped beyond hope that God really might do this new thing. And so he shows up hoping that it's going to be empty. And it was. And then you want to know, where's Jesus? And Jesus shows up and eats with them and he hangs out with them. And so then Peter, fast forward, 
Peter begins to think differently about what God is doing in the world. And so, so Peter's telling people about Jesus and what's going on. And he has this great moment where he, a bunch of people come to decide to follow Jesus. But then we have this moment in Acts chapter 10. And Peter's staying at a buddy's house and he's at this buddy's house. And, and in the middle of that, he has this kind of vision, this dream in the middle of the day. And, and he sees this kind of, this sheet with all these animals. And, and he hears this voice, Jesus. He says, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's like, yeah, uh, Jesus, I don't know if you understand this, but some of those animals are unclean. I'm a good Jew and I have certain dietary laws that I follow and so I'm, I'm just not gonna do that. And the voice of Jesus says it again. And Peter, puzzled, I'm sure. And God says to, to him then in that moment, um, don't call anything I have created unclean. In other words, Everything I have created is good. And for Peter, this, this changes everything. This, this is a problem for him because Peter understood or thought he understood that God came just for a particular group of people from one nation in one location and only for them. And so what happens next is a knock on the door and someone says, hey, will you come to my master? Will you come talk to him? The problem for Peter was, this is where it gets really hard for him. This was a a Gentile, a non-Jew, and Peter's supposed to go to this guy's house? Jews didn't enter Gentiles' houses. That's bad. It was even worse because this guy was a Roman soldier. The very people that were oppressing the people who believed they were the only people of God. And Peter shows up and he walks in and he begins with the way that you wouldn't really want to begin any dinner party. Like it's not the right way to go. He says, hey, you know, Jesus came for the Jews first. And I'm every time I read that, I'm thinking to myself, uh, why would you say that? Like, do you want to make friends? But then it's as if in that moment, Peter also has a second chance, a second impression of who God actually is. And it says, if he remembers the words of his buddy, John, who said, for God so loved the whole world. So Jesus, in this moment, speaks through Peter to Cornelius and his whole family. And here are the words from Acts chapter 10. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Acts 10, 34 to 43, the word of the Lord. See, this for us is powerful. 
Because Peter in this moment recognized God's doing a new thing that he didn't see the first time. His first impression of the way God worked was only through one particular people. It was his first impression of what God was going to do. But Jesus began to change Peter's very impression of who God is. And so in this, this moment, we see Peter tells Cornelius the message of Jesus. Here's what Jesus came to say. Jesus came to say, my kingdom comes into this world and is a kingdom of peace. And not just kind of like peace as the absence of violence, although that's included in God's kingdom. But the kind of peace that is both personal and communal. The kind of peace that is all-encompassing our whole being, our mind, body, and soul. The kind of peace that we become this peaceable person. Uh, So Peter tells them the message of Jesus and the message of Jesus' kingdom. And then Peter says this, well, here, let me tell you about his life. Jesus kept healing people. It's crazy. He would heal people and he would would do all kinds of these things in their lives. People who were broken, people who were a mess. I saw him do this. I was a witness to this. In fact, I was a witness to his resurrection because I saw him after he had died. See, today, there's really not much debate about whether or not Jesus lived. Historians talk about him who are non-Jewish, non-Christian. I mean, it's just true. There is debate about whether or not he rose from the dead. That's where the debate comes in. And this is the reality for us in this moment. Peter says, I saw him raised from the dead. I saw it. And not only did I see it, but many people saw him. I'm not the only one. In fact, a lot of us saw him, and so we're going to tell you all about it. Like, this is what he told us, that we are to be witnesses or tell the story about his resurrection, how he came to bring new life. See, maybe I'd say it this way. See, we are witnesses of the resurrection, even here and now, us today. We are witnesses of the resurrection by the very way in which we live, not just by the words we say. You and I today, we are witnesses of the resurrection by the very way in which we live, not just the words we say. And see, this is what's hard for us because there's a a, a guy who's passed away now, Dallas Willard, who wrote a bunch in spiritual formation. In his book, Renovation of the Heart, he uses this illustration about this this attorney. And he says, really, this is what kind of like pastors are. They're like attorneys. And I'm like, well, I'm not a very good attorney, so okay. Um, But but in his analogy, he uses this illustration. He says that, that... Pastors or preachers are, are, are the ones who stand up and tell as if they're trying to convince a jury, convince the world that Jesus is who he says he is. The problem is every time they call a witness, they call a person who says they're a follower of Jesus. And then so often the followers of Jesus don't reflect the person they say they follow. And so it's really hard. The attorney tries to make this argument and then everything that we see around it, all the people we bring as witnesses are not great witnesses to the story. They undercut the argument made by the attorney, by how we live. And so maybe this is really important for us today to hear it this way. If you and I call ourselves followers of Jesus, these words are probably helpful. If we are followers of Jesus, we must be more shaped by the heart of Jesus than anything else. And it's really easy, especially in these days, to be shaped by whatever news feed we watch, or whatever political party we follow. It's easy for us to be on one side or the other, but Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you're doing that, you've kind of missed the point. You're to seek after me and let me be what defines your life more than anything else. And to be an apprentice of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, is to have the heart of Jesus. It's why Dallas wrote the book, Renovation of the Heart. 
So back to kind of like the text and what we're actually talking about here today, it, it might be necessary for some of us to take a second look, a second chance, an opportunity for a second impression. You see, I gotta be honest with you. One of the things for me is my brain doesn't shut off. I don't know if you're like that at all, but my brain never stops. I sleep very poorly because my brain doesn't quit. And so I found years ago that one of the best ways for me to fall asleep is to read fiction before I go to bed because fiction isn't true. And so I don't try to figure it all out except for the fact that my favorite type of fiction is you like mystery fiction. So one of my favorite book series of all time is Sherlock Holmes. I've read almost every kind of book ever published. I've read all of them by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. But there's a line from Sherlock Holmes I love because I think it's so impactful even when it comes to our faith. Here's the line. When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. I'm gonna read that again. When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. See, here's the reality. For 2,000 years, people have trying to eliminate the possibility that Jesus rose from the dead. For 2,000 years, people wanting to prove that it never happened. But here's the thing. It may be, seem like an impossibility. It may seem like that's true. But no one's been able to prove it. In fact, I don't know what to do with it. It may be improbable, but it may still be possible. In fact, what we begin to see is that we look at the apostles of Jesus, the ones who followed him, 11 of the 12 were martyred. They were killed for their belief that Jesus really was the son of God and he rose from the dead. One, was, one that wasn't killed was stranded on an island and died an old man. One of the early Jesus followers, Stephen, was stoned to death. And as he's being stoned to death, he said, Father, forgive them. I mean, who says forgive them as they're killing you? Early Christians were led to the Colosseum where they were, they were executed for sport. They were eaten by lions. I mean, it, it was atrocious. Early Christians were the ones who went into places where the plague existed and showed this love and compassion that defines the followers of Jesus. Why would people live that way if they didn't believe it's true? Why would people live that way if they hadn't seen him with their own eyes? And so I don't know what to do with that. Except maybe say this, maybe the impossible is what's possible. Maybe whatever remains, however improbable, is still true. And what if that's true that Jesus conquered death? And what's that mean for you and me? If Jesus actually conquered death, it means we can know true forgiveness. We can know true love. See, so I'm a dad of two young kids. They're seven and nine. And so um, they're still young enough. They still like me most of the time. At least my son does. My daughter acts like she doesn't like me when my wife's around. But when my wife's not around, dad's pretty good. But, but sometimes they get in trouble. And sometimes they do things they know they shouldn't do. And so, especially on those nights, I'll usually curl up next to them in bed and put my hand on their head and kind of stroke their hair and say, hey, it's okay. You're forgiven. I love you. I'll just pull them a little closer and I'll hold them tight and I'll say, it's okay. You're forgiven. I love you. And see, this is what Jesus wants us to know that in his name, the father says to us, to all people from all walks of life, from all nations and all backgrounds, it's okay. You're forgiven. 
I love you. And see, this becomes for us such a powerful thing. And this is what Peter was a witness to. This is what Peter says to those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. We are to be witnesses to that as well. There's a God who loves us. And maybe for some of us, we need a second impression because we've thought of God in some other kind of way. And so here's what we see, that God, through Jesus, says to the whole world, it's okay, you're forgiven. I love you. I don't know about you, but that begins to change all kinds of things in us. And, and maybe you're like me, you wonder, is my life going anywhere? Is history going where? Is, is this the best that life has to offer? Is this the greatest thing that we can live for? And it's as if Jesus is saying to us, yes, the world is going somewhere. Yes, there is more than you've ever known. Yes, there is a love that is greater than you have ever experienced if you haven't come to know me. And yes, I love all people from all places and all situations. And so maybe today, maybe today you need to give God a chance at a second impression. Maybe today you need to give God a chance at a second impression because you're kind of like Peter. I know I have been. Or who I thought God was is not really who God was. And so maybe, maybe your first impression of God was that God was all about rules and it was really legalistic because you looked at his witnesses, his people like me, who had a, list, a checklist of things that we had to do and things we couldn't do instead of recognizing that God causes people to live from a place of love. Or maybe you met people who were like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but they lived this like crazy life that there was no kind of order to it. And you go, I don't want to do that either. What Peter wants us to understand in this moment and what Jesus lived and died and rose against that we can know is there's a love that can exist in us and through us that changes everything. And we can live as a people of love because we know the one who loves us. And Jesus' death, ultimately in his resurrection, God says, do you want to see how much I love you? That there is no place, not even death, which my love will not get to you. So we celebrate Easter because the one who says, in the name of Jesus, all of us can know forgiveness. And so here's the thing. If we'll trust ourselves to Jesus, it might change not just our present, but our future. And here's the thing. It might just change the entire world in which we live, but it begins in us. It changes my heart, which might change my family, which might begin to change my community. And so this work of Jesus is very much for all of us, but it probably begins in you and it begins in me. And so here's what I'll say to us today. If you have never trusted your life and your future to Jesus, right now, you can. In fact, I'll even go so far to say it this way. You can write in the comments section, if you're on Facebook or on YouTube, or you can email me at Aaron at connectionpointmi.com and we will follow up with you and we'll walk with you because here's the thing, in a world in which we have to all choose something that we're gonna put our faith in, what if we put our faith in Jesus we begin to follow him with our life? And that's what Peter is giving us an invitation to today. And in the name of Jesus, we can know true forgiveness. We can know true love. And so maybe we can live with this because Jesus did the impossible so that however improbable, he really does offer us new life. We pray with me as we begin to sing one last song together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together in this space and this time. We thank you for the way you love us, for the way you come near, for the way you invite us to take a second impression of you. 
that you say you may not have got the first time, that we may have thought of you as some way other than you actually are. Because many of us are like Peter, and we know that, Lord. And so we pray that you would help us to see you, because we might need an opportunity for a second impression of you. So, Father, we thank you, and we love you. And we pray that today, maybe if there's someone who's been wrestling with whether I want to give my life to Jesus, that I want to trust that this guy really did live and die for me, And he offers us new life because he is alive. We might find in these moments, we'll say yes to him. If we've been carrying burdens about things that we need to be forgiven for, we'll say, God, in the name of Jesus, will you forgive me? And not only will we say that, but we'll believe it. Because if Peter, who betrayed, betrayed your son, if he he can believe that he can be forgiven, then so can we. And so, Father, we pray in these moments that we would find ourselves committed to you. We would find new life in you. And so we pray all of this in your son Jesus' name.